0: Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of Content and Conversation. I'm super excited to have Mike King on the program. Mike and I go pretty way back, uh, and Mike is the founder and CEO of iPool Rank, and is one of the people I, I trust and appreciate most for technical SEO, content strategy. Running an agency, all that good stuff. So uh, thanks for being on the program, Mike.
1: Thanks for having me, Russ. And you know, the, the trust and respect goes both ways. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so I, I was digging into your site and what, what you're thinking about recently and, and seeming to be passionate about. And I see content strategy is a big part of, of what you do. You tend to skew enterprise from what I can see in our conversations together. Curious what that means exactly for you and I pull rank. Like what do deliverables look like? And uh, yeah, what what do you bring forward for clients?
1: Yeah, I think the, the main thing there is that we are focused on content strategy, not just content marketing. And a lot of people conflate the two ideas and they're not necessarily the same thing. Like, you know, you make an ebook, you make an infographic, you put it out, you've done content marketing. But content strategy is more about building like repeatable and scalable systems for making content work. And so that's far beyond just like the structure and... You know what it is that you're going to create it's also working with companies to figure out like the right governance and workflow models and so on so that they can actually get things done because nothing's worse than when you come up with a bunch of ideas and then you actually create the content and then you can't get it out for you know a variety of reasons it could be that you didn't prepare for legal approval or brand approval or whatever it is in the organization that needs to be done um In order to make it happen. Right. And so as far as like deliverables, it all depends on what the scope is, of course, but like the ideal situation is that we work with clients on their audience segmentation. If they don't already have that, then we also work with them on their keyword research and tie that to the audience segmentation. And then we're going to review all of the existing content uh, in a content audit that's going to be pretty robust. And then we do what we call a content plan where we work through. You know, what are we going to create? Uh, What are the governance and and workflow models that we need to put together and basically put together a playbook around content? And so some of that may come out of doing a series of workshops with teams so we can understand what they're currently doing. But a lot of it is just reviewing the existing content. And then beyond that, you know, there's there is the actual content creation and promotion and so on. But a lot of the work we do is also in content optimization because it's just so much value and updating existing content so that it can better perform.
0: Something I'm curious about, uh, in how clients come to you and think about this, I'm sure your positioning allows you to get a lot of content strategy, interested people, but what is the pain point that has someone say, I want content strategy and I come to you like, and why I ask this is a lot of our clients, we have to like really aggressively convince them to have that onboarding and strategy first month. It, they all, they all want to get to content and like cut that out and not do those things. And it sounds like you've built a whole business model around ongoing work on the very important work of content strategy. So just curious how you deal with those objections, if you get them or yeah, if, if, if there's anything to that at all.
1: Yeah, typically because like the way that we operate is in a deliverable model. When we go through the sales process with people, we say like, Hey, based on what you're trying to accomplish. Here are the series of deliverables, or here's the series of deliverables that you need in order to make it happen. And so it's not a, a really a conversation like, "Oh, we don't want to do that." It's like this is how we do it, you know. And there are of course people that are like, "We want to see results right away, yada yada yada." And so to that point, um, we'll do quick wins both on the technical SEO side and on the content side, and we'll say, "Well, okay, there here's five or six things you can do right away on both sides." And so in a lot of cases, it's like build a resource center or um, the idea I got from y'all, like build a state of interactive or something like that. So that way they're able to get something out pretty much right away. And it also allows us to stress test some of the things that we're learning about how the organization works. So if it's like, cool, ramp up on five pieces of content this month, well, we're gonna very quickly learn where the holes are, where the problem areas are and where we need to work with them to adjust how they're working on content internally.
0: Yeah, I love that idea. And uh, one of the things you made me think of as well with how you do work is that governance model. Like, is there an example you could give of one of those in action or what that looks like?
1: Yeah, so it, it really comes down to us being like, okay, cool, how does this work currently in the organization? And, you know, there's a time where we had a situation more like where you're describing where the client is just like, just do all the content. And we built like a hundred pieces of content that were just held up in a queue. So we had to take a step back and be like, well, what what's the process for this to get published? And ultimately what we identified was there, there was a missing person that needed to be on the client's team uh, so that there was like a pre-editing that needed to be done before it went to legal, because legal was like, we're not even going to look at this because, you know, they're they're making claims. And it's like no one told us we can't make these claims in the content. So um, to that point, ultimately, what we worked on was like, OK, well, we know that there's a person needed. We know that this type of review must happen. And so we documented that and then worked with the team. And then they brought someone from another team to join their team to support that work. So that's what I mean. It's like figuring out where the gaps are, what the process looks like. Um, who needs to touch things? Um, who, who are they missing? Cause a lot of times they just don't understand that content was done by a separate team before. And now their line of business is taking it on themselves and they just don't have all the staff they need in order to do it. I, I love that
0: your deliverable came out of like, it sounds like a real situation mm-hmm. and I've realized that's how, that's how our process evolved. That's really what expertise is, is you have, you go through shit and then you clean that up with your, with your broom and Mm -hmm. that becomes what needs to be done. I totally agree. Especially at the enterprise level, those things are so important. Yeah. I I love your quick wins. Like this is something I actually recently was talking about with the team where we were talking about building a learn center that's optimal, but how do we fix things like terrible internal, like there's short-term hacks to fix, say bad internal linking at for a blog until you get a better hub. But uh, do you specifically build that in or is that kind of one of those things that when clients push back on you, you'll find ways to get them the quick wins or just curious how you operationalize that? We
1: we typically lead with quick wins on any account, as long as we're doing like a site audit or whatever, because there's like a handful of things that are always problems, right? Like you always run into a site having a whole bunch of links pointing to pages that no longer exist. You always run into sites having links to redirects or broken links internally. Uh, You always run into sites having issues with metadata and things like that. And those are all very impactful things that are are worth fixing right away. And they show value right away. So it's not difficult for us to identify that. So it's pretty easy, like in the first two weeks, we'll say, cool, here's your quick wins. And again, it it allows us to understand how the organization is going to react to work and then it allows us to better prioritize when we're getting to the bigger components of what we're doing. So quick wins is always a valuable thing for us to be doing. And I didn't always do that. Like you said, it's like a, a learned thing that's come out of working with a lot of different companies. <laughs> yeah, especially at the enterprise level where you're, the big build out could take 12 months <laughs> yeah. to go live, to your point. Yeah, and, and one of the things that makes it especially valuable for us to do that is because when we bring on a new account, Um, We charge 20% of the entire scope up front. And the reason why we do that is because every time you move forward with a new account, there's always some funny business with the accounts payable team. And when we say like, we're not getting started until you pay this, all that is hashed out. And then further down the line, we don't have those issues, or we have less issues uh, getting paid. (laughs) And so, when there's this big outlay of cash up front, they want to see something right away, and the quick wins acted as a way to, like, you know, make them feel like they're getting something right away too. Nice.
0: You made me think of something Tom Crystal recently shared. I don't know if it's if it's public or not, but when there's ambiguity, you don't want to have a big deliverable and just land it on the client without some kind of work in progress preview of things Mm -hmm. and you do that version of that with your your work in pro even though it's probably a finished deliverable your quick wins show them what it's like to work with Ipool rank absolutely uh, which removes that scariness of a deliverable that's terrible right yeah i actually hate
1: doing what tom describes because because it kind of like kills the impact of you you like showing a a uh well thought out you know audit right um and and because we had a client that was like yeah just show us week over week where you're at and it's like you you never get that satisfaction of like here's the problems here's the roadmaps and so on now for his use case where he's just like a a consultant who often works you know directly on site with teams and so on that makes a lot of sense because otherwise it's like what are you doing for weeks like you don't show up for us for weeks and then you give us a deliverable, which may be entirely wrong because you didn't understand something. And so what we do instead is we actually have you know, a series of conversations leading up to the deliverables where it's like, hey, we found this thing. Um, tell us a, li- a little bit more about that so we have more context that we put in the deliverable. And we also use those intermediary calls um, as an opportunity to educate the client. So it's like, here's how we do this SEO site audit. Here's how we do our keyword research and- why our approach is different, how you use what we've done once we do it. So then once they get the deliverable, they know what to do with it. They're not just like, this is a lot. Like, how do I manage this, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like you're doing a version of it, just your own way of doing it. I, I mean, I like that. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not like, hey, here's my literal work in progress, like spreadsheet that's kind of done. Like, nah, yeah, it's yeah. more like, Hey, I found this specific thing. Can you tell me why you guys did it this way? And that just generates a conversation. There's no deliverable. It's just a discussion as to like, why is this happening? Which then informs how you might, you know, change how you deliver your insights.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. For for our specific context, we do like giving clients a preview of our first piece of content, even though Mm -hmm. it's not complex. Like, here's a couple paragraphs. Here's a sample design. And then hopefully that's not wildly off. And if it is, we at least can pivot as compared to giving the first deliverable, which is hopefully we didn't completely miss the mark. It's hard for them to be upset if we give them a work in progress. So that's the context of ours. I mean, I agree with what, what you're saying, but there there's probably, it's just probably case by case. It sounds like sort of that. Yeah. Way. I
1: mean, it's really, it really comes down to what you prefer, you know, like, me I'm I'm an artist too and I don't like showing unfinished work cuz <laughs> if someone like misinterprets it and it's like well it wasn't done and now I'm like making excuses for this awesome thing I'm working on that that didn't resonate so I'd rather give you um something closer to done so that we don't have to you know worry about that. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So uh, we're talking about getting things done, speaking of which, in enterprise organizations, and you do a lot of this work. It's hard to get things done. Do you have any like common playbook for, for doing that and, and navigating all those challenges, enterprise companies?
1: You know, it, it actually used to be far more difficult when I worked for other people. Now, I have much less of a problem getting people on board to do stuff. And I don't know. I think it's just kind of my attitude. <laughs> like, like you hired me to fix this. Here's how you fix it. Are you gonna do it or not? You know, um, I don't really have like when I worked at Razorfish. It was kind of like, oh, I don't think the client's gonna do this. Maybe we shouldn't put it in front of them. And then you're also navigating the relationships that other teams have, like creative teams and media teams, and so on. So I don't, I don't really run into that as much. But I will say, you know, I think it's also a function of like I or we create our deliverables in such a way that it kind of um, preempts the types of objections, challenges, and so on. Like, you know, we're laying out prioritization. We're laying out very specific ways to get things done. We're writing user stories. We're not just doing decks. And so there's no, you know, there's no like, oh, we got to bring in the product manager to see if they can break this down into stories and things like that. That's just not how it works, right? So. Um, and then also like business casing, like we'll lead with that type of stuff as well. So it it's not like, oh, well, you know, we got to we gotta size this before we do anything. It's like, we've done all that stuff for you. So we preempt a lot of those questions. And I think that's that's just the way to make it happen. Yeah, nice. Makes sense.
0: Well, uh, I have not heard the term user story before. Could you define that and give a little context
1: how you use that? Yeah, so typically when... People make like Jira tickets. The structure is called a user story, right? Like you've got the narrative, you've got the acceptance criteria, you got the test cases, and then you also got the data. So as an example, let's say we're talking about, um, you know, the broken link targets thing. Like you got a million links pointing to pages that don't exist, and so a user story might be something like: As a search engine robot, um, I want to make I want to make sure that I'm able to reach your site from every external link that's pointing to it and um you know currently i'm running into pages that are 404ing when i come to your site from other websites right like that's that's the narrative and then the acceptance criteria could be like you know any external link pointing to your site does not 404 it it returns a 200 of some sort and um uh the solution should also monitor when uh pages disappear to to automatically implement 301 redirects and then the test case is like you know crawling all uh links found in HRS returns a 200 something like that right Right. and so that's a very specific way to give a recommendation because if i give you a recommendation in like the typical consulting style an engineer has to then or a product manager then has to um translate that into what uh uh uh, engineer can actually use right because they're not going to they're not going to necessarily know what I mean when I say like fix your 301 redirects for broken link targets. Whereas the way I just said it to you is in their language. And so we prepare those for our clients and then they can just copy and paste that in a JIRA. So it cuts down on the weeks of a product manager having to come in and do that.
0: Nice. So it's effectively a way of educating developers for the most part of what the, what the reasoning is not simply clean up your three or four or fours. Right. You're
1: being very explicit about what to do, how to ensure that it was done properly and just really just giving them everything they need to know in order to implement something. Nice.
0: Clearly engineering is something you you're strong at and (laughs) is in your background. Uh, That's a good segue to the, the, concept of content engineering mm-hmm. that i know is one of your services and you have a case study uh or at least i'm sure a few case studies on doing that what is content engineering how do you apply it and yeah how's that useful for people i mean
1: content engineering is basically our branding of what people call like semantic seo um it's really us looking at what is ranking and determining the features the statistical expectations that google has based on what's ranking so looking at co-occurring keywords, looking at entities, um, just looking at the relationships between pages and then just optimizing the content with respect to that. So, you know, whether that's just like making adjustments to existing stuff or adding paragraphs or, you know, restructuring the page. So it's more semantically relevant to the target keyword. Um, that's what we call content engineering. And so there's obviously a bunch of tools on the market that do this stuff. Like most people are using Surfer SEO. There's also Phrase. There's, um, you know, search metrics, uh, content experience tool, variety of things that are out there. Um, We've used pretty much most of them. Also, Market Muse has one. Uh, We've used most of them. And we also have some like internal tooling because I believe and I think there's some patents that will back this up, I just can't think of one right now, uh, that Google is actually doing this horizontally rather than just vertically. And what I mean by that is the all the tools, as far as I know, what they do is like for the query, they'll look at all the pages they can. Some of them will look at like the top 20, some of them look at like 100 or so, and they they extract the common features and tell you, you need to be using this on your pages. But realistically, based on how Google works, They are likely doing it horizontally across a series of queries, especially when you've got emergent queries that, you know, there's not much information about otherwise. Um, And so they can connect it to other related queries and say, okay, in this query space, we expect these words. So we probably also expect these words for this uh, other query as well. And so ultimately, you know, we're using all that information just to adjust content. And then we see that it, it, works quite well. And to your point of the case study, um, you know the one that's top of mind is that we worked with a client in the, um, what's it called? Like healthcare supplement space or whatever. And we didn't build any links to the site because I think they just didn't want to at that point. So we did a bunch of this work um, and we saw that ranking shot up. Or like we had some queries that were ranking like you know, page five and, and worse that we're shooting up to like the first page just from doing this. So that's not to say that links aren't valuable, obviously they are, but um, the way that we think about how Google's algorithms work, we over-index on the power of links and Google has the ability to, you know, cause there's weight, there's weights associated with each factor. They have the ability to turn those weights down as required. And so those content optimization weights will still remain quite high. So if you do this well, you can see ranking improvements just from doing this.
0: Nice, yeah. We've been doing more and more uh, of that as well. And I like your thought process for going a little deeper than all those common tools do. Mm -hmm. One one of the things I think about updates and uh, content engineering, uh, as it were, with these things, I've been thinking more about scoping these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And like, we haven't always created this content. We're updating it for clients. Uh, I guess if you're just doing maybe semantic SEO, maybe it's not always like also maybe this needs new images, right? to rank or I don't know how much you all do that. sometimes but, it yeah. that
1: that is more difficult when we're talking about, especially like editorial content because we do this for that as well. But when we're talking about like resource content, then yeah, that can come up more because you can easily, you know um, either make a new image or get some stock photos that you can adjust or you know, whatever stock materials you need to then make it a better page. Um, But it's just a bit harder for us to do it that way because of the fact that there's another layer of approval for um, imagery. But yeah, sometimes we do do it. In
0: terms of scoping that, do you typically go on like a retainer and kind of wing it or it's like eight hours per post? Or just curious how you think about that kind of stuff.
1: You know, I think of us as like a product service. And so if you want us to do, we call them content recommendations. You want us to do hundred pages. Well, okay, you buy a hundred pages and that's it. It isn't like you buy X number of hours or whatever. And so there's, there's two, and this is another reason why the content recommendations often don't um, include us adding much imagery because those are two different types of work under our model, right? There's content creation and then there's also content recommendations. So typically new imagery would be sold as a series of content credits. And yes, you could use your content credits allocation towards this, but more often than not, they just want us to make net new content with that rather than using it towards our content recommendations. That
0: makes sense. Yeah, it's something we've been... Uh, like trying to model it correctly. Like sometimes you need new content, sometimes you don't. In some of our old updates, we're mostly updating legacy clients' current content as of now, but there's definitely it's a mature industry now. So there's a lot of old, cr- uh, crufty, uh, crusty, uh, client, out, uh, client content out there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But so you've been agency life for a long time, and I know Ooh, maybe too in long. the past. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And I, uh, I remember seeing uh, in some old Mike King content, a little bit of hate for somehow agencies (laughs) were (laughs) ran before you ran an agency yourself. So curious if you look back, like, is anything harder than you thought?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Any recollect or thoughts on deep thoughts on agency life? Yeah, there, there were some things I was definitely naive about and I would probably make, you know, different decisions. Um, you know, I remember specifically when I was at one agency and, um, the owners of the agency also owned another company that was still doing link building. That was like, that we had moved away from as a company, like they were just actively selling links and, you know, and it was just like another company that they owned. And I was like, like this is shady. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time now as a business owner, it's like you can own other businesses doing other things. That's fine. Like it has not that other business had nothing to do with me, you know. But at the time I was like, why are y'all doing this shady shit while we're like actively trying to pull ourselves out of the shady shit you were doing here? You know, Um, but yeah, it's just things like that that I better understand as a business owner. Um, there's some other things that have just been I've been inflexible about, you know, like I continue to believe that the people that you that work with you or work for you should be taken care of very well. You know, I, I've i as long as my agency has existed, I've always paid or we've always paid 100 percent of people's um, health insurance, their vision, their dental. Um, you know, I know a lot of people do it now, but like it wasn't common when we started doing it. And that was really a function of like how I got into this world was based on me getting into an accident and not, not having health insurance. And so there are things like that that, that still to this day are, will matter to me, but there are also things that i have just like, I've grown up now, I've been around the block a few times. I don't see them the same way that I did when I worked for other people.
0: Yeah, I, I think some people see agency and there i'm sure there's owners out there who are like we should not pay well let's let's just try to to keep this for ourselves but like the model of agencies are so people businesses that to me like doing that is just stupid like if you that's going to come back to bite you uh no matter what of course you still need to be profitable so you have to have a model there but like it makes sense to make your people happy it's not a business that is uh engineered sometimes there's engineering under it but it's not a, it's not sass that uh you
1: have a product that you could somehow pull that off yeah and again like i've worked so many different places where it seemed like the people were the last thing that the organization cared about um and i just never wanted to be a business like that yeah
0: I I, I do, to your point, Mike, I think about agencies of like, what are well-run agencies? Of course, uh, I might be biased in thinking about myself self-referencing. I hope people think of me in this way. And it sounds like I'm sure people think of you this way. But to me, I think you have to care about people actively Mm -hmm. and also be good at what you do. Like there's people that start an agency that I don't think naturally, and they're not bad people probably, but maybe what a reason they're, they're not huge people, people, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, that, and that that's not going to be a great outcome for you at the end. I don't think it it, it shows yeah. itself. Eventually. Yeah. If
1: if you don't like people, this is the wrong business to be in. You know, you you've got to cultivate people. You've got to care about what they're doing. you got to care about where they want to go in their careers and how your overlap with them at this point supports them getting there, because you know, end of the day, everyone works because they want to get somewhere. And I recognize that my business is just a stop in some of these long careers that people are going to have. And so I want to make sure that we are helping them get to that next level. Um, You know, there have been been a handful of people that have worked with me and this has been their first marketing job. And now they've become, you know, kind of like thought leaders of their own. And um, I think that's great. You know, as long as As long as we're able to support them in that growth, then that's the best we can do.
0: Yeah, that's like the most exciting stuff to me. You have someone, we had someone go join HubSpot very early, uh, Mm -hmm. Scott Toosley and like people, I've actually just started to have this happen. I didn't realize how long the cycle was gonna happen, but you have people leave, but now they start hiring you Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) a lot of time. That's a pretty awesome feeling when you help people grow and if you treat them right, they will do that. If you treat them poorly. They will
1: not <laughs> yeah exactly it's yeah. just like with your clients right like when yeah. you have a great client that you support you get results for they move to new companies and then they bring you in there they tell you about other people i don't have to tell you this this is you know a lot yeah. of where your business <laughs> comes from um so yeah you just gotta you just gotta care about people and and where they want to go and and you know how you can help them get there for sure
0: so uh, on the maybe it's not a side project. It's maybe a bigger project than that. But I know you got a book in development. Like how, how's that coming?
1: Uh, tell yeah. people
0: about about what that is.
1: Yeah, I have a book tentatively tentatively titled "The Science of SEO." Um, I'm about 120 pages in. It's meant to be about 360 to 400. Uh, if all goes well, it'll be out in three or four months. It's with Wiley Publishing, and it's very much a technical SEO book. It's it's effectively like a computer science book for SEO. And the reason why I call it that specifically is that most SEO books are business books, right? Like they tell you a bit about, you know, how to do SEO as like effectively an end user of a search engine and like, hey, think about this with your website. Um, But they don't really dig into more of like the information retrieval components behind how search works or They don't tell you much about, you know, when we say machine learning, what does that actually mean? So, one of the things that um, you'll learn in the book is like how to build a simple search engine. And so, it'll be in both Python and uh, JavaScript. So, you can like choose your own adventure, basically. Nice. And, you know, it just allows you to have the opportunity to like really see it from the inside. And I'm also just talking about these concepts in great detail. Like, there's a whole section talking about, you know, how the internet itself works, because that information is so valuable to understanding what Google is doing. You know, we talk about things like uh, HTTP, HTTP response codes and so on. And everyone knows what a 200 is. Everyone knows what a 301 is. Everyone knows what a 404 is. Um, but that people don't know what the other things really mean and, and how Google reacts to them. And so I go in great detail on all those types of things and also like you know how what happens after you type in a URL into the browser like what are all the steps that are happening in your browser across your network across the internet like all this stuff is important to having a really granular understanding of how Google is experiencing a website.
0: You made me think of a uh, uh, we were talking about uh what we might like or not like about the SEO industry before this call started. And one of the things you just made me think about is an old debate that I feel like I haven't heard as much recently is, do you need to be, maybe the answer was like, do you need to know how to code to be a successful SEO? Or that was a question. Mm -hmm. Or do you need to be technical to be a successful SEO?
1: And there's debating camps. Yeah. What's your, what's your, no, you don't, you don't, I don't, I don't believe you do. I don't think you need to know anything I just said. (laughs) in order to be a great SEO. But I do believe that at a certain level, especially if you're working with, you know, highly technical organizations and they're asking you these super granular questions and you just keep saying, it depends, it depends, it depends, you lose your credibility very quickly. And then it's very difficult to make the things happen that you need to make happen. So really um, everything that I'm talking about in this book is like, When you want to go up to the next level, or when you start experiencing edge cases, which you typically do when you're working on some of these really big technical sites. You know, like we work with some of the biggest e commerce sites in the world. And, you know, telling these people, like, hey, your title tags are too long, that's not going to cut it. It's more like we're in like sprint planning discussions, engineering roadmap discussions, and so on. And they're like, Cool, here's where we think we're going it with this product. Here's how this product is built. How do we make this work for organic search? You know, here, here's an example, right? Like we're working with one of the major record labels. And major record labels have a number of websites that they're they own, right? Like there's the artist sites, they also own, you know, like some of the media sites. Um and then the artists also have their own sites. So you know, let's say it's, we're talking about, like, Michael Jackson. So the label may have a Michael Jackson website. The estate may have a Michael Jackson website. And they're all competing for the same keywords. And they're trying to figure out, like, how do we maximize um, our, our link network effectively? Like, I don't have another word to call it um, across all these different websites. And so that's not a question of, like, yeah, go into the CMS of each site and, like, drop links. It's what is the centralized technical solution that you can build that you can deploy links across all of those websites in a way that's like orchestrated and aligns with what you're trying to do as far as like where you want things to rank. So as an example, going back to this Michael Jackson example, maybe we don't want the estate site to rank number one. Maybe we want the label site to rank number one. And so being able to have a technical mechanism across all those sites, that you're linking in such a way that's effective um, and also account for what you're trying to do there is a technical solution that's not as simple as like, yeah, just put more links on the site. And (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? So like getting there requires the level of technical acumen that I'm talking about in this book.
0: Yeah, one of of the things I realized, it kind of relates to your user story comment and I'm sure this comes from your development background. For people who are not familiar, you do have a Do you have a computer science degree? Oh, it's great. I went, to so, uh, <laughs> I went to school for computer science, but I didn't graduate. Yeah, nice. You you, you figured it out. Um, <laughs> so you, you seem to have good empathy for developers generally. Right. Like The user story is a great example of empathy for developers. And you mm-hmm. also spoke to like needing to be empathetic at larger scales. Are there any other examples of that that you like put into practice? I'm just curious if anything else immediately comes to mind.
1: I, I don't know that there's anything else for developers, but there's a lot for, you know, content creators and organizations. Um, every time we we start an audit, there's like this quote that we read. It It's like the um, Agile Prime Directive or something. And it says something to the effect of like, you know, we assume everyone did their best and you know, with the information that they had at the time. And, you know, we're we're basically not, we're not coming in here like, yo, everything you did was terrible. This is a giant critique on your work. It's like, you know, we're, we're assuming that everyone did everything they knew how to do, but here's how we get it to the next level. And leading with that has been a marked difference in how things are received. Because, you know, that's how we're perceived in SEO. It's like, you come in to tell me that I sucked or I messed something up. Uh, You don't you don't come in to be like, hey, you did a great job, and (laughs) you know, like, because that's all we really do as SEOs is say like, this is broken. Here's how you fix it. Oh, you're not doing these things. Now do all these things. So we really have to craft those narratives in such a way that it doesn't come across in a way where everyone feels the need to be defensive of their work. So that is definitely a way that we're. I
0: love that. I love that, especially at the enterprise level. Like that's so true that. Especially, I mean, even if not, you can be empathetic. Especially if someone hired you, so mm-hmm. if someone's shipping that deliverable to somebody, they could look pretty poorly uh, <laughs> if it's framed the wrong way. But mm-hmm. that's great, and I hear that so often. Like you'll you'll get on, you make a recommendation, and they someone will immediately lead with, "We tried to do this and that three months ago," and that
1: kind of thing. Or, or we knew about that when we didn't do it because, like, it's just we don't need that defensive energy in the discussion. What we need is like, look, here's how we're getting to the next level. Like, irrespective of what's in your JIRA backlog that no one ever looks at for SEO, um, here's what we're doing now. Because anything else is like, we're just, we're wasting time, you know, making sure that someone doesn't feel like you didn't do your job. Like, let's just focus on where we're at right now, basically. You you also, do you follow Genius.com at all?
0: Or do you use that at all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I follow Genius.com. Okay. Uh,
0: may I don't know if that's your client or not, but <laughs> I I saw, uh, that used to be like a huge SEO story. You made me think of that. And mm-hmm. Google taking all their traffic. And I now search lyrics. It looks worse than it did. I just search Adriana Grande not because I'm a fan (laughs) but because she had high search volume Mm -hmm. and the entire song is listed on the search result it's pretty brutal
1: yeah the lyric fine thing but the thing is people know of Genius as a brand so it's like yes they're probably losing some traffic but people would prefer to see what you can get from Genius with all the annotations over just like the lyric fine thing that you see in the search yeah
0: agreed well, uh, yeah, awesome. You're working on a book, you're you're staying busy. You also have a, a rank tracking tool coming out. Can you tell people a little bit about
1: that? I heard it's going into beta. Yeah, it's called Exact Science and it's really like all the things that rank tracking should do that it doesn't. So here's an example, right? Like you have a client and rankings drop and what do you do next? You then like kind of do a competitive analysis of some sort and you're basically guessing like, hey, competitor did this now, and now this is why you've lost your rankings or whatever. Well, there's a bit of a gap in our tool space to get there. Like, why isn't there a rank tracking tool that will then look at all the landing pages and see how they've changed day over day and surface what changed? Or why isn't there a rank tracking tool that's also looking at the growth of links for the pages that are ranking? So you can see, like, oh, is this a result of them building more links or not? It's really like there's nothing in the middle. We've got these data sets. We've got your rank tracking data sets. You've got your crawl data. You've got your your SEMrush data that's giving you like competitive intelligence and so on. But you're not. You don't have enough information to truly definitive, definitively say here's what changed. And so our rank tracking solution is doing a lot of that type of stuff. Um, it's doing a lot of the the work that you have to basically export from every other um, rank tracking tool and then do yourself. So you can really have the information that you need to make SEO an exact science.
0: <laughs> nice. So it's a plan to re- release that to, as a tool, a paid tool people will use. Or what, yeah. What's
1: the... Yeah. Eventually. I mean, right now we're rolling it out to beta uh, for folks to like really stress test it and Make sure we've got all the features that people expect, just from like a parody perspective, and then try to see like how might people actually adopt uh, a lot of the things that I'm talking about here. Nice.
0: Well, yeah, people are interested in that. Uh, assume you want more beta testers. You want yes, to sh- shout out the URL. Yeah, yes.
1: iqurank.com/slash-beta-testers.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I need to get on that list, so I'll do that after. This meeting, I just or I just did it. There you go. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So we we start we started this conversation maybe as a way to to wrap it up. We were like, uh, what is something you don't like or uh, about the SEO industry? But maybe I I don't know. Uh, I think we both kind of went in this loop of what it's it's a little day. I'm. I'm going in
1: circles here, but
0: what I don't know if there's something you like, maybe we should end on a positive note. What is something you like about the SEO industry?
1: I love <laughs> how much this community, you know, shares, right? Like if you discover something, if I discover something, like we're all trying to put it out there and just make each other better. Um, I, I, I personally get excited, like when I discover something, like, yo, I gotta get this out here before someone else comes up with it. And I just love that <laughs> feeling. Um, what I don't like though is, how much people copy and, and don't really contribute to that. I also don't like how far behind a lot of our software is behind what Google is doing. You know, there's just like a lot of basic things that don't really make sense. There's a lot of, the, a lot of historical things that remain in our tools that don't really make sense. Like text to code ratio, who cares? No one cares. <laughs> so like, you know, I just really wish that um, we had the level of engineering rigor that some of the other spaces have. But you know, I think the community aspect overpowers that for
0: me. Yeah. I wonder what our ratio of money to engineering firepower is in SEO. I don't know if you have any sense for that. That's kind of no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> kind of get yeah. also there's a lot of money in search. Uh more, more companies going, uh, SEMrush going public. I know some other companies going public recently. So uh, a lot there I mean i I like this you there's definitely a lot of great people friendly people there's always sour apples and they tend to be the loudest or as always negative energy is the loudest but uh i feel I feel lucky to have
1: gotten into it when I when I did met a lot of great people met you Mike yeah uh, yeah I don't know it was it was a much different experience around the time where I met you and it's also a function of me being younger and so excited about it but it felt like everyone I was meeting was like this wizard who like knew something i didn't know and like you know we all just like came together like yo what's your magic trick oh here's my magic trick you know and it was just really exciting then and you know now it's like i'm a a business owner with kids you know i'm just trying to like (laughs) i'm just trying to get it done i'm trying to get the results from my clients and then you know go make some music or something i don't know but i'm not as engaged as i used to be and i think i think that that kind of it's terrible. You know, like I, I want a reason to be more engaged and maybe it's a function of the pandemic. Maybe it's a function of, you know, not, not being physically around people as much. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to contributing to the community a bit more again in the near future.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with what you said there. I just had a conversation with our CEO, COO, Melissa, like what are, what are, points of energy that like when you come out of it you feel energy. There's no doubt seeing people in person is part of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and we don't have it. We haven't had that in the SEO industry. No industry has had it for a long time. And I enjoyed your meetups. Um so hopefully we, yeah, yeah, maybe, we can par- maybe we can part maybe we can partner on a New York meetup again soon. Uh, um, I'm down. That'd be a good time. Yeah let's do it. All right Mike this is great. Uh yeah what where should people find you? Any kind of uh final words or places uh you, you suggest people come yeah.
1: check you out? com, of course. I'm Iporank on all the social channels. I uh, also got a new record out. So, you know, if you want to listen to some rap music, check that out too. Bestrapperever.com. <laughs> <laughs> did
0: you rank number one?
1: I did, but that actually drove really bad traffic for me. So, because cause when I did rank number one for Best Rapper Ever, it was all people looking for like Lil Wayne. And so <laughs> it was like, it was like, super high bounce rate and you know the more i think about seo and music it doesn't necessarily make that much sense from a non-branded perspective um so it's really about building the brand and then you know ranking for your branded terms
0: one of the recommendations i've heard for actually growing as an artist is to do cover songs So basically yeah. you show up in suggested search do you ever do any of that or is there Hell any no. actual seo <laughs> 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 nah
1: i would never do that like if i was a, a singer of some sort i feel like that makes a lot more sense but you know me rapping someone else's song—that's yeah. not.
0: Does that, that cool. even exist? Does that even exist? No, I think about. Yeah, I don't think covers. there's like hip hop cover bands.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you like this, we'd really appreciate it if you go to your audio and podcasting listener of choice, gave us a five star review. Let us know what you thought. Your feedback is much appreciated and lets us get more great guests. Thanks for listening and get your listen on. Mm-hmm.